Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. You made him a third baseman. See if he can play shortstop in the major leagues. That's number one. Number two is I'm texting back and forth wildly with Kirchin. Well, I shouldn't say back and forth because it wasn't coming back to me. <laughs> Kirchin and Ravi are doing the game. Were they working on a Monday night? Yeah, they were doing the game. So it's on ESPN as well as being on Masson. So I'm texting Kirkjian, and you can see that he's reluctant to text back <laughs> during the game. Ravi's not reluctant, but he just says, yeah, what? You know, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't really care. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. And I could fill the first segment here with the Nats from last night and more bad relief work and, and all of that and disappointment at who's playing and who's not playing and where they're playing and what's wrong with them. I could do all that. This, but, you know, we plenty of time for that. I'm not going to do that today because we actually had – we have a breaking news story that, that I think actually has import, and um, I've asked Chris Saliza to comment on it uh, because, you know, this is his area of expertise. Well, actually, his area of expertise is everything. <laughs> uh, but, you know, especially like – T-shirts and how to wear them in that. What is that called? The French cutaway, Michael? The French tuck. The French tuck and all of that. But the the whole thing with, with Andrew Cuomo. I mean, I was in New York when his father was the governor, when Mario Cuomo was the governor. And he, he was very well liked as the governor. Very well liked. And I always thought that his son, Andrew, was very well liked as the governor and was a potential president. And that's obviously not going to happen now. Chris, well, essentially, what is the news story, and then we'll branch out into the reaction, including from the President of the United States of America. Sure. Uh, although you caught me a little off guard, I was told I was coming on to discuss Wander Suero's dynamite stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, he can have that dynamite stuff in the minors Cutter, for a while as he tries to find the strike zone. Yeah, yeah. I can't. It um, does. Okay. Does, Cuomo, disappears into the left field stands um, behind the fielder. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, Andrew Cuomo in the spring, uh, a series of, around March, a series of allegations came out um, public. They were one after another. It was sometimes hard to keep track. It was women who had worked in his office primarily saying that he had made inappropriate comments and in some cases had sexually harassed them. He said, no, no. This didn't happen. Um, you know, I'm sorry if anyone thought it did, but it didn't. Uh, the Attorney General of New York, whose name is Letitia James, she goes by Tish James, uh, launched an in- investigation. Cuomo endorsed that investigation. He said, this is, this is great. I will be exonerated. I'm not going to really comment until the independent investigation ends, which essentially from the end of March until the beginning of August, he got asked occasionally about this stuff, but he would always refer to the independent investigation mm-hmm. and said, you know, this investigation will, will exonerate me. Well, the investigation ended yesterday, or at least they announced their findings yesterday, and it was um, that he had sexually assaulted, uh, sexually harassed, excuse me, sexually harassed, not sexually assaulted, sexually harassed 11 women, including a uh, member of the New York uh, State Police. He had retaliated against one woman who had gone public with her allegations, um, and that this was a pattern of behavior. They talked to 179 people. They reviewed 47,000, I think, documents. This was a there was a 165 page report. Um, you don't have to read the whole report to realize how incredibly damning this is for Andrew Cuomo uh, and uh, his political career. Um, 
it's hugely uh, problematic, especially because he kept pointing to the uh, investigation as something that was going to, I don't want to say exonerate him, but but was going to bring facts to light that was going to change the, the subject. He then comes out about two hours later with a video statement in which he says, this isn't true, uh, I've posted my own response online, these facts are misleading, they are not facts. He also, in that video statement, I, 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 I don't understand why he did this, he ran like a 30-second to minute-long montage of him holding people's faces and kissing people like Bill Clinton, you know, like fam- famous people yeah. and not famous people, to show that he is just like that, that that is his kind of M.O., which, you know, was roundly panned. It's sort of like, I do this to everyone, is not really like a great defense. So, so let, let me let me ask a couple of yes. things. And then these would be the questions that anybody would ask to begin with. Is there any sense that on the part of the attorney general, there was an axe to grind? Is there any sense that they had he, been political enemies? Yes. So he is, uh, th- that is the, was sort of a low-key whisper from the Cuomo team over these last few months as it became clear that this investigation was not, in fact, going to exonerate him. Uh, he will push that. Now, look, Letitia James is the Attorney General of New York. The, uh, that is a position that often is one that uh, attorney, attorneys general is often one that people launch statewide Yeah gubernatorial bids from. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable to think that. But, you know, I I think that that is a little bit of excuse-making here. Um, She put to uh, a longtime prosecutor and another investigator led this that was not her, um, people with pretty unimpeachable, interesting word choice there by me, uh, unimpeachable uh, uh, credentials. So, I mean, he can say it. But it's spin. Okay. All right. So he has vigorously, obviously, denied this. Um, and we want to get that on the record, as, as you did before. Yep. And let, let's get to what I think is sort of the long ball in this. And that is Joe Biden, who is a person who himself has been mentioned as overly aggressive with touching people yep. and hugging people and yep. kissing people. Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America. And he said Andrew Cuomo's got to go. That's... What what is the comeback from that, or do you yeah. play that game that the governor of Virginia played, which is I'm not going anywhere, I'm serving out my term. All right, so let me take the calls on him to resign first. So, okay, in, in, Biden is also, by the way, someone who has long been close to the Cuomo family. He was he and Mario yeah. Cuomo were close. He knew Andrew when Andrew was young. You know, Andrew managed Mario Cuomo's campaign. So this is someone they have known each other for a very long time. Andrew Cuomo was a uh, was a, a surrogate for Biden's campaign during the 2016 campaign. Stuck with him the whole time. Even uh, excuse me, the 2020 campaign stuck with him the whole time. Even when it kind of looked dire after Iowa, New Hampshire, and South and, and uh, Nevada. So th- these they are they are accurately described as actual friends, not just political acquaintances. Actual friends. So for Biden to do that, he had reserved judgment until the investigation. Obviously, that's a blow for for Cuomo. But but to your second point, I think what uh, people don't always realize, and Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, is a good example of this. It's harder to get a politician out of office than you might think, unless they willingly go. 
So when we're thinking back, you know, just think of Elliot Spitzer, the, the governor of New York, who uh, it was, by the way, also the New York Attorney General who then ran for governor, just as a, yes. to my previous point. Um, he resigned. Most of the time, politicians resign under pressure. If you don't resign under pressure, if you are willing to say, I'm here, I don't care, because basically at this point, every Democrat, every prominent Democrat in the Democratic Party, both in New York and nationally, has called on Cuomo to resign. I'll note that both of the state senators, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer, called on him to resign months ago when, when this first came out, as did most of the people in the House delegation from New York. Um, you can stick it out longer than a lot of people think. Ralph, Ralph Northam stuck it out the whole time, right? I mean, he's he, yes. and his, and his popularity numbers have improved. Now, the danger to Cuomo, the only real danger to Cuomo, if he's not going to resign, is impeachment. And the state assembly has already... Already, their impeachment in New York works a lot like it, the national impeachment, which, thanks to Donald Trump, we're, <laughs> we're familiar with since it, it happened twice. Uh, it works similarly. The state assembly right now, the justice, the Judiciary Committee in the state assembly is doing an investigation. When that investigation concludes, which we don't know when that will be, when that investigation concludes, the decision will be made on whether to uh, proceed to impeachment. Uh, in the state assembly. If that happens, you need a simple majority vote in the state assembly, then it goes to the state senate for a trial. Again, it's a, it's a lot like... Yeah, it's national. Nationally. Yes. And if there's a trial, all the state senators are members of the uh, the jury, as are the seven members of the state's court of appeals, which is its highest court. If a majority convict... Uh, two-thirds, excuse me, two-thirds majority convict him there, he's out. Uh, that's okay. the only route I see of Cuomo not of Cuomo being removed from office. That video statement yesterday, he ain't resigning. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. just not going to happen. If he didn't do it yesterday, he's not going to do it a week from now. So when people say, well, it'll go to the Supreme Court of the state of New York, what Chris said is accurate. The Court of Appeals is higher than the Supreme Court Correct. in the state of New York. That's and right. there are far fewer state senators than there are state assemblymen, yep. much like fewer senators than people in the House of Representatives. So it will be a smaller pool of people who are making this decision, and it leads to, I guess, the most reasonable question now, which is, what is his support? If it's if there's no support among politicians, is there support among the people? There was a time when he was a very popular governor. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote pieces, you can find them, from early 2020. No, excuse me, early 2021. Everything blurs for me in the last 16 hours. <laughs> and when I try yeah. to think back on time, it, it feels like I, I get it always wrong. Early 2021, January, February, when he was doing those daily coronavirus briefings in New York, yes. when New York was seen as, remember, New York obviously was the hardest hit in the early days of the COVID pandemic. And when New York was coming back in terms of low case rates, and Cuomo was doing these detailed um, PowerPoint presentations every single day. The, the, the networks were carrying them live. His approval rating nationally was through the roof. People were talking about Joe Biden naming him as VP or him stepping in to run against Joe Biden. This is, you know, in the early, early before the election. Uh, I wrote pieces saying Andrew Cuomo, you know, if he wants to run for president, he, he would be a front runner. Um, his poll numbers in New York were extremely high. 
they have come. They had come down to earth anyway. Although he was still, you know, fifty-five, sixty percent approval. His numbers are not bad. Um, there was a Siena uh, poll that came out in late June where, you know, his favorable rating among Democrats is, you know, in the seventies. Um, overall, it's sort of mid-50s. The question now, Tony, is, and there's obviously no polling since this happened yesterday, the question is how much does the coverage of this and the report, the investigation report itself, change that? Um, Politicians are a reactive species. Uh, In some ways, it's the nature of the beast. They are dependent on voters for their jobs, and they react to what voters say, think, and do. And and when voters change their minds, politicians usually change their minds. Democrats uh, have the majority in the state assembly and the New York State Senate, which yeah. has not always been the case. You think of New York as a really democratic state, but but for no, a long time they've had a lot of Republican governors, yes, lot of Republican governors and senators. And so, but they lot. have the majorities in both. So so how Democrats decide? I think we are going to see an impeachment proceeding against Andrew Cuomo. I guess at this point, I would be surprised if we didn't. The the and I think the majority in the House again, just like nationally, the House is the easier hurdle, right? The House is the one you can get over because it's a simple majority. The state yeah. Senate and those seven Court of Appeals justices, a two-thirds majority is hard. I mean, it's why it's why getting impeached and convicted doesn't happen all that often. In fact, you know, it's happened once to a governor of uh, New York, and I think almost the 56th governor of New York, it's happened once, and it was 100-plus years ago. Uh, so I think that that's the big question. That's the route. That's the only way he's leaving. He is not. Okay. He is not. Yeah, going he won't. To okay. resign. he won't he go. Not, right. It's just not going to happen. Okay, Chris, thank you so much for doing this and and explaining it to me and uh, through me explaining it to anybody who's paying attention. Thank you, Chris. I, believe, I think I owe it to you, given the number of angry texts I send about the Nats to you nightly, <laughs> just, just just bothering you. It's just it's this is a okay. bad it, team. Th- it's not a bother. I, I concur with virtually everything that's being said, and I lead the way on a lot of it. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Chris Elizabeth, boys friend. and girls. Thanks, um, we will We'll take a break. Uh, you know, we'll be back. I may change the order. Um, the reason I'm not saying who is going to be next is because I'm thinking it makes more sense to change the order. Okay. All right. I don't know. <laughs> it's either going to be Liz Clark or Brian Windhorst right. when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This, this. Is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X Chair ad, and they write The Unknown came in 2020 and changed the workplace forever. While some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. I know I do. The future of work has changed, so is the future of seating. X Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now, X Chair's newest innovation, Elamax temperature regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending Elamax allows you to experience cooling heat and massage in your low back. Feeling a little warm this summer? Set your Elamax to cooling. Air conditioning in your home and office cranked up too hot? Set your Elamax to heating so you can warm up and soothe tired muscles. Feeling stressed from too many Zoom calls? Turn on Elamax <laughs> Massage Therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented Dynamic Variable Lumbar Support, DVL, was already best in class with incredible responsive low back support. Now with Elamax, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. So go to xchairtony.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, tony.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR to receive $100 off your offer. 
Xtier has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtony.com right now. Use the code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. Then send them to Jody Forstock because <laughs> he didn't get those in, in Florida. Right. That's xchairtony.com. Don't be stupid. Use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. L-I-T-T-L-E-S. L-I-T-T-L-E-S. Summer of littles. Summer of glee. 7th of August, La Cheeserie. Toasting Pootsie and the Hammer with a libation. More than 40 hotspots across the nation. Practically in every state, the website will guide y'all. Maybe bangers and some mash in honor of Nigel. <laughs> Saw dust from Uncle Benny's table in every venue. Tell me, will the Vesta bagels be on the menu? the great Dan Byrne, who writes, a loyal little Tony Beeson suggested to me perhaps there should be a Summer of Littles theme song, and I humbly submit the enclosed. Maybe Littles will be moved to sing the song August 7th from balconies, bridges, and rooftop bars from Dan Byrne. And by the way, Dan, Dan emailed... Um, my, grand, my grandson's favorite singer is yes. Dan Byrne. Dan's great. And I think Brandon Costello is actually playing a gig with him uh, later this fall. Wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yes. Okay. He plays in Liz Clark. Um, Liz, at the moment, is not in Tokyo. She is in Washington. She is covering tennis in Washington, not tennis in Tokyo. There is something called the City Open, which is a pretty big deal tournament. Nigel, you get involved in the City Open as well. Yes. Um, it's a pretty big deal. I- I'm, I'm happy to talk about that, but before I talk about that, I want to talk specifically about Nick Kyrgios, who I think mm. is a dope. Um, I mean, uh, you know, as a lot of people talk about mental health issues in athletics, I actually think he has some. I mean, his behavior over a long period of time has been erratic, to say the least. He went out in the first round. I think he's the defending champion. And he used this great phrase, my head is in the shed. <laughs> I, I just, when you heard him say, Liz, my head is in the shed, you had to laugh. You had to laugh at that. Well, it, he, he turns a lot of interesting phrases. He is liberal with the F-bombs. He is unfiltered in his language. And, yeah, that was a new one for me. Um, but, but truly, it, and I totally get the, the aggravation I feel in your voice about Curios. Oh, I think it's, yes. as so many of us do when you see this ungodly talent in whatever the discipline uh, kind of working at cross purposes against itself, if not imploding, you know, self-immolating to be a little dramatic. And and you just see the pro- if he were an average player, we wouldn't care, you know, we wouldn't worry. Um, and I think with age, you really appreciate that. And he's 26. He feels he's fully evolved and grown. Um, but I, you know, if he were my son, I'd really have trouble with this. But he is so talented, and it's such a pity. And on one hand, he'll say, you know, at this point, I really don't care. I'm not playing for wins. I'm sort of a part-time player. But but then he does this post-match interview, and he's just so full of 
regret and remorse and really bewilderment, literally saying, I did better when I was combustible, and I used to erupt because that told me I did care. And now, you know, meh, I'm sort of happy for the other guy when he wins. So, I mean, he's just to say tormented, I don't think is a stretch. You know, he's not happy with himself. So that's a pity, too. He has tanked matches deliberately yeah. all over the world. Totally has. He has completely destroyed the full faith and credit of the ticket-buying audience all over yes. the world. Um, if he were a better player, you know, if he were John McEnroe, if he were a champion like John McEnroe, I could tolerate this and I could appreciate that when he lost and then he jumped yeah. up on the couch and he did self-analysis that it would be interesting. But I just think he's a runt. You know, because he's done this for so long. I, I mean, I just do. I'm glad you don't. You well, know, no, I observe I'm, him I'm from torn. afar. I don't want to rip the guy because, I mean, his interview was so sad. You wanted to say, let's bring someone in to work with him. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, I respect any athlete's decision to take a break, take a pause, bow out. And he's in that nether space, I think, where he doesn't know if he wants okay. to play. He does have a sincere desire to entertain fans at this point. Um, but, but this was not entertaining. This was sad, you know, right. because he, yeah, it was sad. All right, let me move on. Uh, Nadal is the main draw. Rafael Nadal, one of the greatest players in history, was never played in Washington, D.C. at this particular tournament. Um, why is he playing? You, mm. you know him. I know you think so highly of him as oh. a player. I don't know what you think of him as a person, so tell us. Oh, as a person, it's off the charts. I mean, okay. 30 years of covering sports, I have never dealt with a more humble, more um, gracious human being than Rafael Nadal. And he's one of these athletes who's on court or in the field of play comportment is radically different than the person. And you know how often that happens. And average fans, or, you know, a lot of fans, understandably, don't see that other side. And so they think, oh, he's just a bull. He grunts, you know, he, he doesn't smile a lot. He is the most gracious. So that's the person. Why he's playing is um, he hasn't played since June 11th. So so two months, which is super long for Nadal, who is just such a workhorse. And it was a, that brutal semifinal loss at the French That's Open, right. which he has owned for 13, 15 years. He's won 13 times. Um, and he disclosed just this week in an interview with me and then subsequently in an interview with a group of reporters that he has had a serious foot ailment. Um, he told me it did not require surgery. He didn't go into great details, but with his, it's his left foot, and he went 20 days after the French Open after without picking up a racket, which is unheard of for Nadal. So that is why he pulled out of Wimbledon, why he didn't play the Olympics. And he, he said at the time he needed to listen to his body, and the body being the left foot, he simply could not play. So tonight... Is his first match in two months. It's his first hardcore match in six months since uh, the the Australian Open. So there's huge unknowns. And he has been in D.C. since Thursday. He's been practicing twice a day um, out at the City Open, sometimes kind of with no one looking, mostly with fans looking when they realize he's there. Um, 
Yesterday was his one kind of free day. He practiced only once around 7 o'clock at night so that he could sightsee. I mean, he's, he was genuinely excited about discovering Washington, D.C. He's never been here before, although he's traveled the world for 15 years. And he, he, he is a, a kind of player who wants to see things. He always sees a show in New York, you know, when he goes for the U.S. Open. He's a curious guy. And when I talked to him, he was in this mode of getting up at 6 a.m. and going for walks downtown. And uh, he was just delighting. He's like, this is unlike American cities I've visited. This is so green. And there yeah. aren't tall buildings, you know. And and there are people out playing sports in the morning. So he's been walking by himself in the morning. And yesterday, his sightseeing day, he got a bike. And he went biking around. And he posted on Instagram, you know, here I am uh, in the monuments. So... He's just a delightful, lovely person, uh, oh, and really enjoying over the, the last over the last twelve to fifteen years. The three mm. biggest names in tennis, without question, are Nadal, Federer, and Serena Williams. That's over the last twelve to fifteen years. Yeah, they all appear yeah. to be done, right? They all appear to be done. Oh, Tony, damn! Is that, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I do not know that they will ever win another major if that right. he was done. You know that they may be halted at twenty. For the men and 23 for Serena, they may be done. That's a brutal ask. It's a two-week slog. Um, done as players, uh, I anybody who gets them in a first round, second round, I don't think they would say that. You know, the okay. opponent. Um, okay. I think they're certainly going to be selective. I mean, we've seen that with both Serena and 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 Federer. You know, they are prioritizing majors. They are not playing 20 tournaments a year. They are super, super selective. Nadal will be that, too. Um, he's going to contest at the French Open next year, you know, b- barring the, the whatever ails the foot. And He's not done at the French Open. Um, but, yeah, they may be stalled. This may be the majors, and that's an extraordinary numbers to go out on if that's it. And Djokovic will probably, likely, pass both men. How about his awful behavior at the Olympics? How about Atrocious. that? Atrocious. Yeah, I mean, he you loses, know, starts places. throwing things, then drops out of the other tournament, hurting his partners. How about that? No, it, go uh, ahead. of all venues to show the the – ugliest duality of i mean it's not the first time he smashed a racket or thrown a racket or blown up i mean in fact he cost himself what could have been potentially his 21st major if if we can count retroactively by yes. being dq'd from the u.s open just not a year ago um by uh uh smashing a ball that hit a lines person he wasn't aiming at the lines person but that was the upshot of losing control so after a fairly sanctimonious uh, mansplaining of what it means to play play under pressure uh, to, to Simone Biles, um, yeah, he he has he he emulates at the Olympics. You know this stage of of brotherhood and valor and you know it was fair play and sportsmanship ostensibly i mean symbolically that is not the place to lose your cool um he you could say well it meant a lot to him of course it did he was going for the golden slam yet another way of distinguishing himself no man has won all four majors and olympic gold the same year so that was on the that was on the serving platter for novak he earned that Right, he won the first three majors. That's pretty damn amazing. But, um, yeah, it was not a good look. 
Um, and he's had some super good looks it, with these moments of, of sportsmanship and giving rackets to kids. There's, you know, moments where, well, regardless how you feel, you've got to bow down to the guy as an athlete. He, he's just unreal, unreal as a tennis player, you know, winning on all surfaces more so than Nadal and Federer. And uh, so there's the columns of got to appreciate and salute Djokovic are long. But there's some columns of, eh, that's not a good look. It's, he's a hard guy for me to cheer. So he does not have the mass love that, or mass respect in, in the minds of many that Nadal and Federer have, I think, for that reason. So happy to hear you. So nice. Thank you for coming on the yeah, show. Thank Makes you. Makes me very I happy. I hope to see you out there tonight, Tony. You're not going to see me out there tonight. <laughs> Anything that ends in tonight, you're not going to see me. There's no chance. But. Tonight, in this case, is 7 o'clock, Tony. It's not a push. But um, yeah. anyway, I know you have two jobs, multiple jobs. Um, thank you for having me. It's so good to hear your voice. Liz Clark, boys and girls, a total delight for us. All right, we will be back with Brian Windhorst. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. They write a new ad every month. They're good about that. There's always new copy with a new month. Summer is winding down and so is its carefree nature. Ease back into reality by seeing how much you could save on home and auto insurance. Things you want to do, evening swims, popsicles on hot days, dog belly rubs, things you don't want to do. Overpay for home and auto insurance. Policy Genius can help look for similar to coverage to what you have now, but at a lower price. Are your home and auto policies almost up for renewal? Let Policy Genius look for a lower rate for you. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They can help you find home and auto insurance similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They've saved customers an average of $1,250 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. They've saved new customers an average of $435 per year on auto insurance and saved new customers <coughs> excuse me, an average of $350 per year on home insurance. So that is $785 saved on home and auto insurance if you're a new customer. What does that tell you, kids? Getting started is easy. You head to policygenius.com. You answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They will compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team can look for ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch you over for free. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Zeta. This is called Smoke. And it is written, hope all is well. Please send our regards from New Orleans to the entire crew. Reaching out to make you aware of our last single called Smoke before our full nine-track album, Hardly Alive, is released worldwide on August 20th in a couple of weeks. This tune represents the mellow side of our typically energetic southern rock and roll circus, opening and closing with a Louisiana rainstorm. The tune encapsulates our roots in the most bare-bones way possible. Isn't that nice? It's available in a couple of days, Smoke. That August, particular August 6th. Single, August 6th. Yeah. 
Michael, if people like Zeta want to send us their original music, which is always so wonderful, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonyquinizershow.com. Okie dokie. Brian Windhorst joins us from Tokyo. We've had very good luck in having people come from Tokyo, and most of the time we talk about the Olympics, and I guess we will with Brian, but there's free agency that you have to consider, and you have to consider the headline of yesterday, which is 83-year-old Carmelo Anthony... (laughs) signs up for one year with 81-year-old LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who's not even 30 but has the body of a 90-year-old at the moment. Um, This is the oldest. It's like the senior tour. It's so They're so old. And yet, if they had one more run, you could see them winning something. I turn to you as an expert here. Carmelo to the Lakers, what should we make of this? To be honest with you, it it actually kind of makes sense because they need uh, guys who can be spot-up shooters. And at this point in his career, that's what he is. He's a spot-up shooter. And, you know, you know he's going to come in and have – well, I shouldn't say you know. You assume he's going to come in and have chemistry with with the guys on the Mm -hmm. roster – and they also, yes, they signed a bunch of old guys, and it's really old guy summer. If you want to know the truth in the NBA, you got Kyle Lowry, thirty, thirty-five, thirty, signing for a hundred, you know, million, ninety million. You got Chris, Chris Paul. Paul, who's you know, hundred twenty million. I mean, um, I mean, <laughs> it's never been a better time to be in your mid thirties in the NBA. And I'm not exaggerating; that's a hundred percent true. But they, but they've signed some young guys. The Lakers, they, they just kept Taylor Horton Tucker. They just signed Kendrick Nunn. Um, you know, they, they're going to have some issues, I think, learning to defend with this group. But they've done a decent job of filling in with minimum contract guys around that team. Whether Russell Westbrook fits, that's a different conversation. But the moves that they've done since have made sense to me. Um, I've got friends who we chat and email back and forth about these signings and the ones who live in LA say the same thing all the time. There's not a defender on this team and it's just going to be a straight highway 101 to the basket for the other team. Nobody's going to defend it all. Do you think that's a fair comment? I mean, the, the thing that's so difficult to understand about this decision is that the Lakers for the last two years have been a top five defensive team. Even yeah. last year, the reason that I felt that they had a chance to still win it was after LeBron and Anthony Davis got hurt, they, they improved defensively. They, they really, Frank Vogel had done a really good job of holding down the fort. And they, they've won because of defense. And they just completely flushed it. And, you know, yeah. and, and, and totally gone a different direction. And Tony, I wish I had the number in front of me so I could sound smart, but I'll, you know, LeBron has been a Laker. This is going to be his fourth year coming up. He hasn't played the fourth year yet. But I'll bet he's had somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 teammates, 50 Lakers yeah. teammates. And he has totally flushed the roster. When I say he, I want to be clear. He's a driving force here. He was a driving force on the Anthony Davis trade. That was a great trade. He's a driving force on this trade, too. He's completely flushed this roster three different times. And... You know, expecting you to create chemistry defensively when you completely turn the roster over, it's just a really big ask. I, I guess what surprises me, it does surprise me, 
Is Westbrook a better player than Chris Paul? Yeah, he's a better player than Chris Paul. Is he more important to a team? Not necessarily. Chris Paul was the only reason that Phoenix got so good in such a hurry. And he's such pals with LeBron. Did did Because Le, LeBron makes these trades. Did LeBron say, I'd rather have Russell Westbrook than Chris Paul? Well, Chris Paul wasn't available. The, the, you know, he, was a, he was a free agent, and uh, the Lakers didn't have the ability to sign him. So and I don't think it's apples to apples. Now, if you're asking okay. me, in a year, could I see Russell Westbrook traded for Chris Paul? Now, that's a conversation, <laughs> because uh, Russell Westbrook changes teams every year now. I don't know if anybody noticed that. Um, yes, and so every it year. Yes. Me, it wouldn't surprise me if a year they were looking to do something like that. No, the real comparison here is the Lakers could have had Buddy Heald. They had a trade sitting there. They would have had to trade. See, they traded four things for Russell Westbrook. They traded three players, Kentavious, Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and Montrez Harrell, and their first-round pick, four pieces. They could have traded two of those, Montrez Harrell and Kyle Kuzma, for Buddy Heald, and then had the other two, Caldwell Pope and the first-round pick, either keep and use or to trade somewhere else. And they would have had a cheaper roster, and they could have done some more things instead of signing minimum players. And so when we look forward, and look, I I can't see the future. Maybe this works out. When the Lakers are struggling to make shots, when the Lakers are struggling to defend, when you think of what they could have done with 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 that other route, that's what's going to be in question, you know, into the future. Oh, I, I had this conversation with Wilbon yesterday who was saying, you better get excited about the Washington Wizards. I said, hold on, Sparky. We're not. I'm not. I, I, you know, they, they just gave a new coach 11 new players. You know what I mean? It's, so, it's going to be so hard. I, we don't even have to discuss that. But Wilbon is also making a big deal about Kyle Lowry to Miami. Can, can and I, I don't something out ahead. with the Wizards real quick? Yeah. Yeah, sure. They don't have this Dunleavy deal done yet. I'm sorry, not Dunleavy. Uh, Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie, that, yeah. That, there's a hold up. Now, look, by the time this, everybody hears this, it could be done, but there's a hold up there. The, the Brooklyn Nets are, are, are creating a problem. And, so, and what's got to happen is they're, what they're trying to do, they're trying to put Spencer Dinwiddie in the Russell Westbrook trade, which means that the Lakers and the Nets have to sign off. Mm-hmm. I won't bore you with the details, but I suspect it'll get done. But that, that trade's not done yet. Yeah, Wilbon was excited about that, too. He's excited about players that only he knows about because he follows so carefully. <laughs> He's also excited about Kyle Lowry going to Miami. Kyle Lowry's 35 years old. His numbers last year were 17-7. and seven. They're not much better than Goran Dragic's numbers at all. And I don't, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't see how you make the case that Miami is in the ballpark with Milwaukee having just won and swept Miami out of the playoffs, or Brooklyn, which, when healthy, is the best team in basketball, I would think. Are, are you with Wilbon on this, that Miami is now a force? Here's what you should tell Wilbon to win this argument. You should say that Kyle Lowry should be a member of the Lakers, that everything that they traded for Russell Westbrook, Kyle Lowry is a better fit for the Lakers. Yeah, I agree with and that. They could have had, and they could have had him last spring if they had included Taylor Horton Tucker in the deal. And instead, they're left with Russell Westbrook, who makes, even, even this year, you know, no, no matter what you think about Kyle Lowry, I just want you to realize Russell Westbrook is going to be making 15 
million dollars more than Kyle Lowry this year. Um, but I realize that's not what you asked me. You asked me about Miami's relative standing. Um, I, I do think they improved. Jimmy Butler had a spectacular year last year, or maybe the best year of his career. Now, do I think they should have signed him to a $184 million extension? Whoa, no, whoa, whoa, but they right. had Jimmy, they had Jimmy uh, recruiting Lowry, and, um, you know, they, they, they overachieved the year before and they underachieved last year. Um, so the big thing for Miami is what's going to happen with Tyler Hero. Is Tyler Hero the guy last year who was just sort of blah, or is he the guy his rookie year who was carrying them to wins in the Eastern Conference Finals? Lowry will help them, but if they're going to get up there and compete with the Nets and the Bucks. They're going to need Hero to, to really step forward and be that sort of uh, difference-making player. And the third year is when you see a lot of guys do that. We'll see this year. All right, let me get to the Olympics. The United States is now in a position to win the gold medal. I mean, they've got to beat a couple of teams, obviously, but it's not the disaster that the France loss was or when Wilbon said to me how good Iran was and how good the Czech Republic was. And I said, one is a 50-point game and one is a 30-point game. Please stop with this. They lost to France by seven, Iran. I said, Iran is not a squad. So... Now we're down to four, I assume, uh, four teams that are left. And Mm -hmm. um, Slovenia plays Australia today, maybe. One of those teams is awfully good. Both of those teams are good. I have no fears for the gold medal. I think that Durant is the best player in the world, and I think that they will win comfortably. But I could be totally wrong. What are your thoughts? Well, Kevin Durant is just a treasure for this team. He really is. Um, he was great in the 2016 Olympics. I mean, his stats from those games, he averaged, he shot 58% on threes in 2016. He's not quite playing that level here, but I also feel like he hasn't even fully put the gas down yet. Like if they really need it, he would just shoot every time. And there's some flaws on this roster. Uh, Damian Lillard has not played that well. That's a real surprise. I was, I was counting on him. Um, We've seen, you know, Bam Adebayo and Draymond Green have struggled as the big men. They've gotten eaten up a little bit. Um, you know, they've, he had to bench Leather down the stretch the other day. Um, but when you've got Durant as your margin for air guy, it, it, it's huge. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say, now they're playing Australia. It's my tomorrow. I guess it's later today. Okay. You, you, will be, okay. you will be asleep for many hours by the time it actually starts. But yeah. it's technically later today. Um the Aussies have, have never had a better team. This is the best team they've ever had. They've beaten the U.S. last two times they've played. Um, they've got Matisse Thibel playing tremendously, and he will be guarding Durant. Now, look, I don't care if he guards Durant. He really can't be stopped, but they have a guy they can put out there on him. And the U.S. cannot mess around. If they play a complete game, they'll be fine. But here's what I think you're going to be interested in, Tony. The United States is being aided in this game by a bathroom floor. And you may say, what are you talking what? about? Yeah. Well, the, the, when the Americans played the Aussies three weeks ago in Vegas, they killed them inside. That's the thing. One of the things going forward about the Americans is we don't have big men. If you go look at the best big men in America, in, in the NBA, they're not American. And I want to point out that Carl Anthony Towns and DeAndre Ayton, people that assume they're American, they're not American. So, I mean, Towns plays for the Dominican Republic. He can't play for the U.S. 
Um, wow. So we are really we are really weak at center, and everybody in the world knows this, and they attack us on the inside. And two weeks ago or three weeks ago when the Aussies played, they had 22 baskets in a 40-minute game in the paint. Just killed us inside, killed us. Uh, but their starting center is Aaron Baines. Right. Who you may know has been from in the NBA Boston. for seven or eight years. Yeah, yeah. from Boston. Now, now, I know Aaron Baines doesn't blow people away in the, in the league, but, you know, he, he, he helped kill the U.S. a couple weeks ago. Aaron Baines, in the middle of a fourth-quarter game against Italy last week, went to the bathroom. And I don't know what happened in that bathroom. I don't know what was on that floor. But he slipped in the bathroom, fell, hit his head, and injured his neck, and is out for the Olympics. Wow. And, and, and wow. that fact, uh, plus the fact that since that game, the Americans imported those finals guys. Yeah, um, that Middleton made, that and Booker and Holiday. Okay. And, and here's something else that's crazy. It is just bizarre. Greg Popovich, in the last week, not only has been coaching the Americans, he's been operating the Spurs free agency. And he's been negotiating with Patty Mills, Australia's point guard, and their new replacement center, this kid named Jock Landale, who the Spurs signed to a contract yesterday. So yesterday, Greg Popovich agreed to sign the Australian center that he's playing against tomorrow. And is that not a conflict that. of interest on some <laughs> level? Is that not weird? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and Patty Mills walked. Patty Mills went to Brooklyn. So, I mean, talk about a bizarre – and I even tried to talk to Greg about it after the game the other day, and he's like, look, I'm barely sleeping. I'm barely eating. I'm on the phone all the time. I, I, he goes, I can't compute all of it. Um, but it, it's, this situation where free agency is happening during the Olympics is so bizarre, and this – scenario where he's got a brand new player who he's now game planning against that's very weird and seems an overt conflict of interest (laughs) on some level that's that's really nuts that's nuts well and the bathroom floor thing and so it's never bain has never said what happened i mean he issued a statement and he's a free agent i mean he heard his he may have heard his career and I just, you know, think all the things that the U.S. is doing to try to protect themselves here, you know, all the COVID countermeasures, somebody's got to go, somebody has to go to the bathroom during the game. They got to send, and you know, here's the thing, they don't have team managers here, Tony. Um, like Steve Kerr and Jay Wright, like they're rebounding for the players. So like they may have to like send Steve, if the guy's got to go to the bathroom mid-game, they may have to sacrifice Steve Kerr. He may have to go in there <laughs> and make sure that the floor isn't slick. Because you can't have Kevin Durant wiping out in the bathroom. It's so weird. (laughs) Brian, thank you so much. (laughs) It's just much better than I thought. Brian Windhorst, boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. That's right. I'm Tony Kornheiser. That was great. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. I've spent straight care so many times. I've shopped it Since I got my first free box of that baby, I ain't buying s*** anymore. <laughs> now it looks like I'm never gonna pay for stuff
This is Joe Arrow. This is, it's just great. It's just great. And it reminds me that I have seen a video of Tom Jones in his early 70s singing this song on one of those British, um, you know, sort of contest shows like oh, we right. have here, you know, what the Simon Cowell show, whatever it is, whatever the name of it is. What was the name of that? I used to love it. American this, Idol? American Idol. Yes. So Tom Jones, because somebody Tom Jones worked with, that person's son sang this song. I'm never going to fall in love again, which is Tom Jones' song. And then Tom Jones sang it with him. And he was in his 70s, and you just looked at it, and you you got tears in your eyes. That Tom Jones could just stand up from being a judge and do this. It was absolutely remarkable. And Joe Arrow, they just belted that. Yeah, That's great. Good for Joe Arrow. Said, ever since Dr. Hoffwaff bragged about getting the free toaster, this jingle has been in my mind. Uh, Bethesda Bagel. Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest to you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right. That's just about it for us today. But, and this is where Nigel always puts in something that I enjoy. Ever seen a blind man cross the road trying to make it to the other side? Ever seen a young girl growing old trying to make herself a bride? So what becomes of you, my love, when they have finally stripped you of the handbags and the glad rags that your granddad had to sweat so you could buy? That's Rod Stewart. Maybe his finest song ever. Maybe his finest performance. Brilliant. Handbags and glad rags. That's another song. You listen to that song. You tear up. It is (laughs) so good. And you don't think of Rod Stewart that way. No. You think of him, okay, he can croon a little bit. But this song is great. And I think it was also, I think it was the song that they used as the theme song for The Office. The English Office version. The only one worth watching, actually, with Ricky Gervais. That is correct. Thanks to our guest today, Liz Clark. Clark, uh, Brian Windhorst, thanks to today's sponsors, Policy Genius and X Chair. Go ahead. Also, because I wrote that last night, Chris was in the added edition. But also oh, Chris Elizabeth. I Lizza. forgot. Yeah. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Bruce F. in Middletown, Delaware. Long time, first time. Family visiting from Houston. We're spending the week at Rehoboth Beach. On your recommendation, got dinner last night at the Rustic Acres Market. Great food, great service. Staff was incredibly friendly and helpful. We told them we'd heard about them, and they said people come in all the time based on your shout-out. Thanks again. The Texans and our family are barbecue nuts. They couldn't stop talking about it. It's really good. What's that breakfast place you used to go to up there? Helen Sausage House? or In Smyrna, Delaware. Yeah, Helen Sausage House. Oh, it's about 50 miles, I would say. Really? 40, 50 miles north, I would think so. Maybe not that much. I don't know the geography of Delaware. Delaware's a small state. Let's not worry about it. Get in the car, kids. <laughs> From Travis Falkins in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Dead at 86 or four easy installments of 21 and 0.50. And that's, of course, Ron Popeil. It's a tribute to Ron Popeil from Jeff Turner in Weston, Florida. And he writes, you know Weston. I do know Weston. Dan Marino lives in Weston. I played golf in Weston, formerly of Baltimore, Merlin. I'm sorry your Nats have been gutted, but as you freely admitted, they won two years ago. When my favorite team won the World Series, my mom took me out of school early and went to the parade. It was glorious. I was 12 years old. I'm now 50. I'm an Orioles fan. When Michael has to wait 38 years for the next World Series championship, he can call me and we can both drink some Johnny Walker Blue or enjoy some toast from the Revolution Toaster in your honor. On second thought, that would make me 86, so I probably will have already sailed into the Mystic, too. Oh, well. Go O's, hun. <laughs> We've decided to keep the uh, the Turner T-shirt. The, oh, good. You should. size 6, 7, so we can always remember the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> from James Herman, suddenly after listening... 
After years of listening, my dog has taken a pointed interest in the pod thanks to Chessie. Yeah, Jessie is barking. She didn't bark today, which I'm happy about. Jeremiah in Geneva, New York. When I emailed about my name, Jeremiah, and the annoyance I've suffered of being constantly reminded that Jeremiah was a bullfrog, I had no idea it would precipitate such outpourings of pent-up rage and frustration from other littles whose names appear in songs and TV shows or who experienced other name-related vexations. It is, however, some consolation that many of us seem to like soup. Every hack comedian wants to remind us of some loathsome pop culture artifact that contains our name, but at least we have soup and our rage. From Rhonda Plourd, P-L-O-U-R-D, in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. The recent emails from male listeners named Jeremiah and Jesse, lamenting the teasing and singing of their names made me laugh. What a novelty, how shocking. I asked my friend Molly about it. She rolled her eyes and exclaimed, good golly. I told Eileen and she said, come on. Stacy's mom just shrugged her shoulders. She's got it going on, you know. So on behalf of all the Mollies, the Eileen's, the Stacy's, the Angie's, the Billy Jean's, the Delilah's, the Sally's, the Barbara Ann's, and help me Rhonda's out there, may I suggest Jerry and Jesse buck up, smile, and nod like the girls do. That's a really good email. <laughs> From Sandy Brown in Easton, Maryland, a fellow SUNY Binghamton alum. As the woman related to Jesse Hammock by marriage, I need to let you know he's still floating on cloud nine in his orange pants, whistling What's New Pussycat as the thread of his email continues. So thank you for reading it. He can die a happy man. He neglected to point out that he has five nieces and nephews, which also makes him Uncle Jesse. I can also attest to his love of soup. We sure miss seeing you at Chatter. P.S. If I took my husband's last name, I'd be Sandy Brown Hammock. So there you go. <laughs> From Dennis Bounds in Redmond, Washington. I'm a proud graduate of the University of North Dakota, but I spent my freshman year at George Mason College, well before George Mason became the largest public university in Virginia. In the one cafeteria on campus at the time, music would blare during lunch hour, and the one song that was played over and over was Three Dogs Night, Eli's Coming. That's written by Lauren Nero, by the way. And Eli's Coming is actually a pretty good song. Yeah, good that and Steve Miller's Living in the USA, not as good a song, were probably played in every college bar in 1970. I admit Three Dogs Night, greatest hit compilation, is in my stack of CDs, and realizing that the official position of the TK podcast as Three Dog Night ranked just below the devil. I know it's easy to be hard, but try a little tenderness, even for those out in the country we are, after all, the family of man which is something to celebrate all these songs by the way i've never been to spain but i've been to rehoboth beach please tell Jean mcmanus not to hate me because she brings joy to the world that's hard to do to get them all together <laughs> in a sentence john Carey. so ron popeel died at 86 i would have guessed 85.99 plus shipping and handling we have these craig copeland in owings mills maryland where will we find another old geezer who can peddle superfluous home goods like specialty toasters chairs and solo stoves oh <laughs> From Dan Walsman in Damascus, Maryland, I survived the 30-hour car trip with my kids. Now I see, need to see a chiropractor, a shrink, and a marriage counselor. Can't wait for the drive back next week. P.J. Smith in Morgantown, West Virginia. Are you sure Uncle Benny's table will fit in the new studio? I hadn't really thought about moving it. It's pretty heavy. And from Sam, Sam Davidson in New York City by way of Simsbury, Connecticut. I'm originally from New York, and my wife of 47 years is from Boston. So I'm well acquainted with the difference in vocabulary. Chew a water fountain is a bubbler, but a hero sandwich is a sub. As you get towards Springfield, it's a grinder. That's what I was trying to remember. Grinders. Yeah, grinder, that's right. Traffic circles are rotaries. Mm -hmm. The game I call Johnny on the pony, they call Buck Buck. <laughs> Rather than choosing up sides, kids in Boston will buck up. Boston Yiddish is different, too. Their bagels are topped with lux as opposed to locks. The wedding canopy is a hoopie instead of a chuppah. <laughs> Grandparents are Bubby and Zadie, and a rag is a schmooty. But Tony, while Boston may think of itself as the hub of New England, you know that New York is the center of the universe. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Come on now.
That means everybody just cool, cool out. out. <laughs> we just cool, cool out. out, everybody. L-I-T-T-L-E-S, L-I-T-T-L-E-S. Summer of little, summer of glee. 7th of August, la cheeserie. Toasting booty and the hammer with a libation. More than 40 hotspots across the nation. Practically in every state, the website will guide y'all. Maybe bangers and some mashing honor and Nigel. Sawdust from Uncle Benny's table in every venue. Tell me, will the Vesta bagels be on the menu? Summer of Littles from sea to sea. Use the code people. La cheesery. Yeah. 